Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for joining. We've got a great episode for you today. This was supposed to be a season review episode, but... A lot has happened over the last couple of days, so we're going to push the season review a couple of days out, and we're going to focus on the latest news, which was the appointment of Luciano Spalletti as the new manager of Napoli, and then at the end of the episode, we'll talk about the national team selection and Matteo Politano not being picked. I'm joined by a panel of returning guests to help me out today. I'll start with Daniel Russo. Daniel, how are you? How's it going, Joe? Thank you for having me on. I'm good. Thank you for coming on. Uh, Gaetano Salazzo, welcome back. What's going on, Joe? Thanks for having me back. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And Vincenzo Bertillo, how are you? Glad to be back, Joe. Glad to have you. All right, so let's get right into it. We have appointed Luciano Spalletti as our new manager. I think despite the various rumors of the other options like Christophe Galtier and Sergio Conceição, I think by the time this announcement came, we were all kind of expecting it. I've never seen such a large portion of our fan base begrudgingly accept the appointment of a coach, if I could put it that way. Now, there is a large group of our fans who wanted this and supported the decision wholeheartedly, but the majority of the comments I saw from our fans were along the lines of, he wasn't my preferred choice, but let's move forward, or he's not the best option, but let's move forward. What's fascinating to me is that both the pro and anti-Spalatini, if I can make up a word, will use the exact same information to support their respective cases, which I suspect will become more apparent in this discussion as well. Even the pundits seem to be a little bit torn on Spalletti. 
Chiesa di Totti ran a two-part feature on Spalletti about mid last year. That's called Where Did It All Go Wrong for Luciano Spalletti? So obviously there's an underlying bias to that one, but it's still a very good recap on Spalletti's career to this point. Be forewarned, it's really long, but they do also have an audio version, so I do recommend you check that out. Vincenzo, you also tweeted about an excellent episode of the Totally Golazzo Italian football podcast that was on Spalletti as well. Those two uh, pundits that were on there are two of my favorite cultural writers and Gabriella Marcotti of ESPN and James Horncastle of The Athletic. And even they had mixed minds about Spalletti. Marcotti is very much anti-Spalletti, though he did say on one of the more recent episodes of the Gavin Jewel show that he does have an open mind to it. Horncastle spoke a bit more positively about Spalletti. So I want to get all of your thoughts on this appointment I didn't plan it this way, but I think between our three guests, we do span the spectrum of opinions on Spalletti. Daniel, I'll start with you. You are, I would say, among the group of fans who wanted to see this happen, along with Azzurri Fanfil, who we had on a little while ago. What is it about Spalletti that made him your preferred choice? Well, for me, I mean, ever since I've seen him as, since I was a kid with Roma, he's always gotten the job done with every team he's been on. Yes, he hasn't won a Scudetto yet. I'm hoping maybe we could be the first team that he would win it with. But he's always getting in Champions League spots. With Zenit, he did win two league titles, if I'm not mistaken. Although it's not that league's not at the same caliber as the Serie A. I get it. But that's still something to go on is Palmares, we call it in Italy. But honestly, I think he's the guy that could get us back to the Champions League, first and foremost. And that's really the most important thing for us right now because it's two seasons now barring some you know uh from Sheferin the UEFA president hopefully he can get us in but who knows what's gonna go on with that but right now as of now we're not in so and that's two seasons without Champions League football for a team like Napoli and we really need it badly so I think that he's our best option to get us back in our most realistic option to get us back in yeah, and I'll get to that in a little bit as well with, with some of his results in, in our recent seasons. And you're right. I mean, for me, the finances alone are are huge when, when you miss the Champions League. And I've said this time and time again on this podcast, every time you miss the Champions League, it gets that little bit harder to get back into it because you don't have those resources. And you look at Milan, who finally got back there after a decade it's not easy and and sometimes maybe you need a little bit of luck on your side and we definitely didn't have that luck this season. Vincenzo, I'd place you maybe on the other end of that spectrum. We spoke about Spalletti when you came on Forza Napoli Worldwide. Now, the context was different at that time. Our discussion was about whether you'd keep Gattuso or hire Spalletti and that was based on the assumption that we finished in the top four. I think we all kind of recognized if we didn't finish in the top four, then Gattuso was definitely going to move on. And maybe even if we did, he was going to move on. You made a pretty strong case for keeping Gattuso in that episode. And part of that argument was an argument against Spalletti and, and some of the reasons why you didn't necessarily want to see him in charge. So are you disappointed with this appointment? Yes and no, because at that time, Gattuso was still in the job. And so it wasn't so much as who's going to be next, but are we going to keep our current leader or switch to somebody else? And I think that any competent coach gets this squad, even as is, into the top four, including Gattuso. I think we've been over before. I'm not going to get into the disaster period that happened, 
But again, football comes down to these very fine lines because as Daniel was saying, yeah, Spalletti has always gotten his teams into the top four. He's gotten the job done. But at Inter, we know it happened on the last day in both seasons in a row with no improvement on the way he achieved that spot in the second season at Inter. So, you know, I have some concerns about Spalletti, but I do think, I, I understand if Gattuso was going to go, and now that we didn't qualify for the top four, he's gone. I understand the choice of Spalletti. I think ADL is thinking to everyone's point so far, it's just, it's a safe choice to get you top four. And I understand that reasoning, but I think that there could have been other options who also would have gotten this squad in the top four with coaches who are more in their prime, closer to you know where Spalletti was when Daniel started watching him in the early 2000s. Yeah, I think that was one of the key points that you made on that episode that you felt that Gattuso had his best years ahead of him while Spalletti's best years were behind him. One of the arguments you made, and you kind of touched on it there as well, was that he hadn't won much in his career. At least his ego didn't sort of match his accomplishments. I think as a fan base, we might have different expectations for Spalletti. We had Daniel Bowen on the last episode of Fortsanopoli Worldwide, and Daniel's been pretty adamant on Twitter that anything less than a Scudetto is a failure. He keeps using the hashtag Scudetto or bust, which (laughs) I I don't necessarily agree with. But Gaetano, I think you're pretty neutral on this appointment, I would say, maybe not on either extreme of the spectrum. So let me ask you, what do you think is a realistic expectation for Spalletti in his first season? Well, you're right. He wouldn't have been my first choice, but I think he's the realistic choice especially after we missed out on Champions League, uh, you figured the bigger names were, were not going to come, right? My my dream was to get Allegri in, but, you know, that was a long shot to begin with. And then once Champions League was gone, that, that wasn't going to happen. But as far as expectations, you know, I'm with Daniel. You know, we got to get back in the, in the Champions League. We got to get top four. And to Vincenzo's point, I think we should do it comfortably. Even with the squad we had last year, and hopefully with, you know, a couple minor tweaks in the team uh, in the summer, you know, there's no no reason why we're not a top four team, talent-wise. The thing I like about Spalletti is that he does play offensive football, which, again, well, I think we'll get into later. But that's one of the things I was, you know, I'm happy about with him coming on. But, yeah, I, I think anything less of champions, just like this year. I mean, obviously, there were circumstances that, you know, we don't have to get back into. But at this point of our, I guess, you know, ascension, Champions League has to be a goal each and every year. And then if we compete for the Scudetto, that's great. But I, I think the goal each and every year has to be top four. I agree. First and foremost, we need to get back into the Champions League. I think it's going to be a competitive season next season, and maybe we can take a shot at the Scudetto. I'm not ruling that out. I know some people will think that saying, oh, the goal is to get into the Champions League is kind of a loser mentality, right? That the goal should be to win the Scudetto. I think if you were to ask most Interisti at the beginning of this past season, the season that just ended, whether their goal was to win the Scudetto, or at least whether they expected to win the Scudetto, I think most of them would have said no. They probably would have said Juve were the favorites. Maybe they would have liked their chances. They would have thought they finished second, and yet they still did win the Scudetto. If the goal is to get back into the Champions League, then as you guys have pointed out, there's no reason to think that Spalletti cannot do that. In eight of his last nine seasons coaching in Serie A, he has qualified for the Champions League. He took Udinese to the Champions League for the first time in the club's history, at least after it was rebranded as the Champions League. Then in his first stint at Roma, 
He finished second in three out of the four seasons. That fourth one was the one season he missed the Champions League. I think they finished in sixth place in that season. Then he went off to Zenit. He comes back to Roma. They finished third, and then they finished second. And both seasons with Inter, he finished in fourth. So maybe not the best performance, but enough to get them into the Champions League. Vincenzo, another argument that you made last time we spoke was that Spalletti has a tendency to ostracize his star players, which is a big concern, I think, for a lot of people. There was actually a picture going around on social media of the Grim Reaper moving on from Totti and Icardi, and he's heading towards Insigne. So, Vincenzo, what do you make of the suggestion that the appointment of Spalletti signals the end of Insigne? Well, I sure hope that's not the case because Insigne, I think, is a huge part of this team and he's our captain, and I think deservedly so. But it is a concern that I do have, and I think anyone who looks into the history of Spalletti would be overlooking that as a possibility if they think that that's not in question of happening. Hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully Spalletti has learned his lesson. I'm I'm open to being optimistic. I'm I'm an optimistic Napoli fan. I hope for the best, but I'm also realistic. In his last two appointments, he did fall out with Totti, Icardi, and he has fallen out with others before. And there does seem to be a little bit of an ego issue. Somebody has to be the biggest ego in the room. And when you have leaders like Insigne, big players, stars, Spalletti, ADL, there's a lot of big egos around Napoli. And we saw last year what happened with the Ancelotti disaster, that that was why Gattuso was brought in to actually rescue us from that moment, which to me, even though this past season was disappointing and even what happened in the last game, I know we're all still scarred from that, but nothing as a Napoli fan was worse than with, during the mutiny. That was my lowest point as a Napoli fan because what is happening? All these players who were united are falling apart. You don't know what's going on, if it's ADL, if it's Ancelotti, what, you know, the egos at play. I do worry that something like that could happen with Spalletti. I think it's it's more likely something like that happens with Spalletti than it does with say the Derby or another appointment, not that I'm saying that they would be better, just, you know, that is my biggest concern for sure. I'm hoping that they're able to keep their ego in check. I think that the fact that ADL has him on a two-year contract is also a very smart move. He's not going to be super comfortable and he probably knows this is his last shot at a, at a squad with this kind of capabilities. So I'm hoping that He's not super comfortable. He knows it's probably his last chance. He comes in and he's able to keep his ego in check. But if not, it could spell disaster. Let's let's hope that's not the case. The two-year contract, in one way, I, I get your point. But on the other hand, it concerns me as well. Because we know Insignia has one year left on his contract. They're in discussions about potentially renewing now, which I think will happen. I don't think um, Insigne is going to leave. I think, you know, there's all this talk right now about Donnarumma and, and Mino Raiola and, and what's going on with that situation. And obviously Donnarumma is not going to be returning to Milan. I believe Insigne had Raiola as his agent and fired him. And Raiola is a type of agent that's trying to sell players to other teams because that's the best way to make commissions and, and increase prices of players. And that's in the best interest of the agent. So when you fire an agent like that, you're really signaling that you don't want to leave. I think he'll get it done. But Daniel, what do you think? Do you think that bringing in Spalletti could mean the end of Vincenzo's time at Napoli? I certainly hope not, because this year he's really proven to be captain worthy. 
you know, worthy of the armband. That was always a big issue with me about him was that I just never thought that he was not necessarily worthy of it because he was always worthy of it. But just I never thought he could deal with the pressure of that armband like Hamsik or Cannavaro did. They had the armband on and you knew who was the captain. You know what I mean? When he had the armband on, especially last season during the mutiny and everything, you just did not know. You didn't really feel that he was the captain. This year, he really took it in stride and said, listen, I'm the captain. I'm leading this team. And he did it. And I love him for it. You know, I, he made me eat all my words I said about him last season because I had tweeted a lot about him. I really didn't like it. And it was never about his his uh, ability because everyone knows how good of a player he is. You can never deny how good of a player he is. It was always about his personality. However, I don't think he'll have those problems with Spalletti. I don't think he would have them because, first of all, he's in the prime of his career. I think that the Spalletti thing where he, he gets into fights with his captains is a little bit blown out of proportion because I think maybe people aren't really thinking about the certain circumstances. There were crazy circumstances that he had to deal with. You know, Totti at 40 years old. People are like, why isn't he playing every game? Well, he's 40 years old, you know? Also, Icardi. He's crazy. I think the guy's crazy, and, and and his wife is even crazier. That's another issue. So I think, you know, Insignia is usually like kind of mellow, and he doesn't really talk back to the coaches. I don't really ever see him talking back to coaches. So I don't think there would be that problem with him. I hope there wouldn't be that problem with him and Spalletti, because you could tell Spalletti's a coach that he demands the respect of all his players. And I like that a lot. On Insigne's captaincy, I agree with you. I was skeptical about whether he was the right person for that. He was, and still to a certain degree, has his mental struggles. We saw how he struggled after he missed the penalty against Juve in the Supercopa, but I do agree he took a huge step forward in terms of his leadership. I was looking at highlights because we're going to talk about our awards next episode, but there was the goal when he scored against Benevento, and the way he celebrated after that goal, he really looked like a leader. And he looked like Gattuso, which I think is something that Gattuso doesn't get enough credit for as well, is helping Insigne along on that journey to becoming a better leader for this team. I do agree with you on the circumstances with players like Totti and uh, Icardi and, and even Igor Denisov for Zenit before that and I'll I'll get to those stories in a second but I want to get Gaetano's thoughts on this as well Gaetano what do you think the relationship between Spalletti and Insigne will be like well obviously my hope is you know, like everybody else said is that everything is smooth right I have a little bit of a different perspective on, on Insigne's captaincy so to speak you know I think we can all agree he's had a pretty thin skin ever since he took over uh, being the captain And yes, you could say he took a step forward this year with being more of a leader, but, and remember that there was no fans in the stands, right? And when he heard those whistles, when he heard those boos at the San Paolo, now the Maradona, that's when he really started going to the tank a little bit and he started reacting against the fans and, you know, not playing up up to his best. So I think that helped him be a little bit more calmer this year uh, without having to hear those, uh, those cat calls. But, you know, listen, we all know there's going to be a rough patch next year where maybe we lose a couple of games we're not supposed to, maybe back-to-back, or maybe even a game in Europa League we're supposed to win and, and we, we take an L. And we got to see how they react, right? After that first rough patch, is the team together? Or is Paletti calling players out in the media? Russo made a great point. Totti was 40 on his way to retiring. 
Icardi's got a you know crazy relationship with his wife, agent, and everything else. So, you know, there's circumstances and there's context to every situation. But I am a little concerned about Insignia's intestinal fortitude when it comes to hearing it from the from the ultras and the fans at the stadium. Because we all know once they open up those stadiums next year, people are going to be hungry to to to, to cheer and boo and, and clap and, and chant because they haven't been in the stadiums in a year and a half. So they're gonna let they're gonna let him hear it. So um, I'm hoping you know that that's not the case, but I'm I'm a little bit concerned. We'll see how how that goes. I thought even in the Coppa Italia final, it seemed like both sides were very nervous with just a handful of, of fans in the stadium. Imagine if if the place is packed. Let me elaborate a bit on those those three star players at each of Spalletti's clubs. The first was Igor Denisov at Zenit. The situation there was that. Zenit signed Hulk and Axel Witzel to, I think, triple the contract, the salaries that Denisov, who was the star player at the time, was making. And he publicly made it known that he wasn't happy and he wanted to renegotiate his contract. And so he was sort of banished to the reserve team to train. And Spalletti said, you stay there until you apologize. Now, to me, I mean, we're talking about a Russian club in the first place, so... I, I wonder how much of that was Spalletti's choice versus sort of senior management. And even if it was Spalletti's choice, I think there's justification there when you have a player that's complaining about his pay. Then you move on to Totti at Roma, and apparently they did have big flare-ups in the change room, and they they went head-to-head. So there's definitely a bit of that ego issue that Vincenzo was talking about. But in that Totally Galazzo podcast, they talked about how James Palotta, who was in charge at the time at Roma, that was basically his plan. They recognized he was 40 and we do need to move on from Totti at some point. The guy can't play forever. And he was getting advice from Franco Baldini at the time and and they were kind of pushing for that. And Spalletti was the perfect fall guy because he was basically on his way out anyways. I'm surprised he did it because he didn't have to. He was on his way out, but I guess he took one for the team in that sense. So again, whether that was caused by Spalletti or not is is up for debate. And then, as you guys have all pointed out with Mauro Icardi and the whole situation with Wanda and, and all of that drama. Now, in that case, maybe Spalletti could have handled the situation better than he did. But clearly, there were other factors at play with all of those cases. And I don't know much about Denisov, but Totti and Icardi are definitely two huge egos. And, and you guys have alluded to that as well. And I don't feel like Insignia does have that kind of gigantic ego. I'm actually expecting him to take a pay cut just to stay at Napoli and, and see his career through there. Maybe, at least the rumors right now are that, you know, Insignia currently makes four and a half million euros a season. He's asking for five, which is a pretty modest increase, actually, when you think about it. And De Laurentiis is offering three and a half. Who knows if that's true or not? It sounds like your typical negotiation and, and maybe they end up just paying him the same thing. But I think he will stay, and I don't think he'll necessarily have that same type of ego issue. But it's hard to say because, as Vincenzo pointed out, we just had a mutiny, and you know it's pretty much the same squad, right? Vincenzo, did you want to chime in on that? I mean, again, I like to be positive, so I'm I'm hoping that none of this happens and that Spalletti comes in and he's has more squad unity than Gattuso. But I mean, also where there's smoke, there's fire. If it happened a fallout with the star in Zenit, then in Rome, then at Inter, there is a commonality there, and that is Spalletti, you know? 
of course, Totti has a big ego and he was older. Of course, Icardi, his Wanda and all of that. It's, it's a crazy situation. But when you're getting paid millions of dollars to be an elite manager, these are the things that you have to handle. Okay. There are big egos. If you guys watch any behind the scenes stuff like All or Nothing or even these Formula One shows, I mean, with these athletes, they're getting paid so much money. They're young guys. Then you have billionaire owners. And okay, ADL is not a billionaire owner, but he comes from a borderline aristocratic Italian royalty family as far as the cinema side of things with the De Laurentiis family and what they've done for Italian cinema and all this. I mean, these, these people have huge egos. So when you're a manager, you have to be able to keep both your ego and everyone else's in check. I know it sounds impossible, but that's why you get paid the big bucks, right? That's what I think. So hopefully, like I said, the time off and the fact that this Napoli squad is probably one of the best squads he's ever had, although maybe not within the context of the league. But currently, I think it is one of the best squads he's had. It's probably his last chance, as I said. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, for positivity. But there are some warning signs. And it's harder to be anything beyond cautiously optimistic. Yeah, what's interesting, though, is that his salary is actually fairly modest. I don't know if I was expecting it to be higher, but three and a half million, I think, is what's being reported. You know, Gattuso was, I don't know, one and a half, two million. So it's maybe double Gattuso's, but not that much. I, I think most of the options we would have brought in would have probably been in that price range. But you're right. Nonetheless, he's getting paid millions of euros and it's his job to manage the squad as as it was Ancelotti's and he didn't get it done either. So we'll see how, how this goes. He is a bit more of a hard-nosed type of manager. Ancelotti was very laid back. We know how Gattuso is. It sounds like Spalletti is more on, on the Gattuso end of the spectrum there. One thing that's clear to me in, in the research that I've done is that there are plenty of pros with Spalletti and there are plenty of cons. So I'll, I'll go around the table and I'm going to get you guys to each give me one pro of hiring Spalletti and one con of hiring Spalletti. Gaetano, I'll start with you. So the, the pro I'll give is, again, I mentioned this briefly um, earlier. I really like the brand of football that he plays. You know, his strikers have also, have always done well. They score a lot of goals. So I'm hoping that Ossiman takes that momentum that he started building at the end of uh, last season and just picks it right up. He's not afraid to press high, quick passing, triangles everywhere in the field. You know, I don't want to give you a technical breakdown, but I don't want to bore the audience to death. <laughs> but he plays offensive ball. Uh, he's not afraid to attack. He's not afraid to take chances. So I love that about him. That was one of the things that kind of brought me on board. The more I looked at the way his team's played, the closer he got to his appointment. I was like, all right, let me go back and look at some of the stuff. And it's really, you know, listen, it's nice to see. It's nice soccer. It's going to be fun to watch. And with our team, I think it fits the roster really nicely, uh, which is nice. My con is is this time away. You know, two years uh, may not seem like a lot, but things change in sports in general, right, quickly. And two years is a pretty long time, and he, he hasn't done much. You know, I know people joke around that video on Twitter when he's feeding the, the geese or the swan or whatever that thing is, and then he's Bianca <laughs> uh, Neve, and then, uh, you know, he's, he's petting the horse and the whole thing. Um, you know, when you lose a little bit of that edge, a little bit of that fire, and then you, you get thrown in uh, and you got to pick it back up. And a piazza like ours in Naples, uh, we know that, you know, it gets fiery really fast. Uh, like I said, a couple of bad results, and then all of a sudden the tide turns. You know, there, there are expectations. So that's my concern is this time away from – from the training ground especially, and you know, hopefully he hasn't lost a step. That's my concern, that he's lost a step on the way. Personally, I don't have an issue with the farm and 
the guy's collecting his paychecks from Inter, and he certainly seemed relaxed when he's feeding his duck and petting his horse. But I hear you, and and that is a bit of a red flag. We talked about that two-year contract. I'm okay with the two years. I'd be more concerned about extending it because he did this at Zenit and he did it at Inter. Well, Inter wasn't an extension, but at Zenit, it was like right after he extended, they actually fired him. And then, so I guess to get back at get back at them, he made them pay every cent. And same thing with Inter. And I don't know if that's the reason why he's not going to join the club until July 1st, or it might be the reverse. Maybe Inter is saying, well, you made us wait this long. Now we're not going to let you join Napoli until Yeah, I think, it, I think it is, John. I think they're making him wait. Until uh, July, right. his contract's officially over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. On the positive side, I agree. I think that's something that's noticeable in Spalletti's game that his strikers do tend to excel. Totti won the European Golden Boot in one of those seasons in his first stint at Roma. Edin Dzeko won Capocannoniere, and that was his career best in terms of goals. Mauri Cardi did the same thing. They both scored twenty nine goals, which was the highest in their careers which sounds like it bodes really well for Victor Osimhen if he can stay healthy. Vincenzo, what about you? What's one pro and one con of hiring Spalletti? For me, the biggest pro is just safe choice to get you Champions League football and the same formation, I would add to that. Kind of a two-point point, but I think that it keeps the same formation that Gattuso built and probably gets you top four. That's the best. As far as con, again, there's a potential for fallouts. and. Even if there's not a fallout with a specific player, I also do think that there's a chance that there's less squad unity. Let's just put it that way than there was under Gattuso. That's probably my biggest concern. That's fair. And it's hard to have that type of unity that we had under Gattuso because that's really his strength, right? Is getting people fired up. I mean, he was like a father figure to Osimhen. A lot of players ran straight to Gattuso to give him a hug after they scored goals. He, he was a hard type of disciplinarian but it was it was tough love at the end of the day and and the players felt that they they wanted him to stay at least according to the reports again in the silencio stampa you don't really know what what's really true or not being uh, reported as far as the formation goes that's definitely a pro he played a 4-2-3-1 in those last couple years at inter i'm not exactly sure if that's what he played at roma as well i mean at roma he had sort of it was six right yeah and you know, we've seen reports as well that he's told De Laurentiis he doesn't need much. He maybe a few pieces here and there, which makes sense, right? We all know that we need a left back. We probably need a couple of backup players. We need a backup left winger for Insignia, a backup right back for Di Lorenzo. And then obviously if we sell a player like Fabian or Koulibaly, we'll have to replace those guys. If Maximovic and Hisai leave, we'll have to replace those guys. So it doesn't sound like he's asking for a whole lot. And that was another point that was made on the Golazzo podcast. Uh, Marcotti made it that, in a way, Spalletti has done better when he's under pressure and when he doesn't have enough resources. He seems to struggle a bit more when you give him more. And I'm actually a little bit concerned about that because we have an abundance of talent on this team. There's no denying that. So I I do wonder how that's going to play out. Daniel, I'll give you the final word on this one. What's one pro and one con for you of hiring Spalletti? Well, like I said before, he's always been a guy to get the job done with within the, the objectives of the squad that he's at, especially at Inter. His, his two years at Inter, I think he spent, I believe, two years, correct, at Inter. And both times he's yeah. uh, qualified for the Champions League, albeit the last day. But at the end of the day, he's qualified, you know? 
Um, we would have all taken I'm, the last day this season, right? Yeah, yes, I would have taken it 100%. <laughs> but um, I was just looking at that squad that he had the second time he qualified for the Champions League in, I think, uh, 2018. He had Rafinha playing at Trequartista, Danilo D'Ambrosio, and Vecino. You know, all guys that, albeit they're solid players, but I believe we have upgrades in every single position that they play right now. He's proven that he could do it with lower quality players, which is a good sign for me. However, a con would be that he's never won in the top league, never won the Scudetto, never won, you know, the league in Italy, especially. And in Italy, there's a saying called vincere aiuta vincere. You know, winning helps you to win. And I believe that first hurdle of getting to win is the hardest. But once he has one, maybe we have we create something beautiful with him. Who knows? I'm certainly optimistic for him. I hope he can bring us a Scudetto like Daniel said, <laughs> like Daniel Bowen had said. I don't think it's a Scudetto or bust this season as much as he does, but I'm certainly optimistic. And it's a guy that I thought that could be our coach even since December when there were rumblings of Gattuso being sacked. So I hope I was right in my assessment of him, obviously, uh, because it would mean that Napoli are doing well. Absolutely. I've got a couple of additional ones that I've sort of extracted from that podcast and that Keza they taught the article. So let me let me start with some of the negatives so we can finish up on a positive. They mentioned the 7-1 loss to Manchester United back in the, the first stint with Roma in the Champions League. That was one of the criticisms in that match was that he didn't seem to have an ability to adapt in game, which is obviously a concern. And I think that's partially tied to the style of play. And and again, I mentioned at the top how you can use the same information to argue both sides, right? And and this is a perfect example. You can say he's innovative and you know he's credited with inventing the false nine and using Totti in that position, playing Perota as a 10, which wasn't his release position. He he kind of did the same thing with Raja Nengolan in his second stint at Roma. But at the same time, he's also been accused of not really having a plan B or C or D. It's kind of that's the plan and everyone has their role. And when a team, when an opponent figures out, okay, if I just mark Totti and Cassano or whoever, then they can't beat me, right? So that's a bit of a concern. I'm hoping that we still see some more of that innovation in a different way. And that was something that was sort of necessitated by the squad that he had at Roma and and the club kind of selling off players to Inter all the time. So I'm hoping he can look at this squad and recognize that there's more than just you know, a couple of really good players and then a bunch of role players that I'm going to get them to just do one specific task. And as long as everybody plays their role, it works out. I'm hoping he can use our our team a bit differently and and a bit more, uh, not complex, but but have them have multiple roles and have a better understanding of the game and and a bit, maybe a bit more autonomy to make decisions rather than be sort of narrowly focused on one job. Another criticism was in his sort of antiquated training methods. He's known for these 11 v 11 training sessions and Spalletti uses the race car driver, Vincenzo, you mentioned Formula One. So there's a good segue to that, that the analogy there, he uses a race car driver's analogy to defend that methodology. And he says that the reason a race car driver doesn't just sit on his chair with a steering wheel 
on his coach instead he goes and does test laps on the track is because that's a better simulation of reality than sitting on the coach now that maybe that's a bit of a dated analogy because i think these days the technology in formula one so good anyways that they really do just sit on a chair and practice but <laughs> but i i think i take his point he's also criticized by Keza Di Totti of sort of lacking grinta, which is obviously something Gattuso had, sort of lack of mental uh, winning mentality. That's obviously a big concern with the mentality of our players. But again, taking the flip side, we just had a coach with all the grinta in the world and it still wasn't enough. And then the question becomes, are we willing to, to sacrifice some of that grinta for a bit more of a, a tactical ability? And Gaetano mentioned the triangles and, Hopefully that makes up for that difference. We talked about the challenges he's had with players. Vincenzo, you also mentioned uh, last time that the fact that he took a couple of breaks might suggest that he lacks hunger. So that's a bit of a concern. And then the contract. As far as, as the positives go, Horncastle puts Baletti up there with Antonio Conte, Max Allegri, and Maurizio Sarri in terms of the most influential Italian coaches over the last 10 to 15 years, which is pretty high praise for someone, as we've all pointed out, who hasn't won a title in a top league other than Russia, which I don't think any of us would consider a top league unless someone in Russia is listening. It's a fantastic league. I mentioned his flexibility of players. Again, on the flip side, he wasn't really that inventive at Inter. I think um, Brozovic maybe is the only player that sort of improved under him. And again, we talked about how with Gattuso, a number of players improved. And and that's something we'll get to in our awards on the next episode. We talked about how players have improved their goal scoring under him. Again, uh, Totti, Jacko, Icardi, um, and his formation. So... I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I, I think, like I said at the top, we've kind of, a lot of us have sort of begrudgingly accepted it, but I think we all have to move forward. I think he can do good things. And if the goal is to get back into the Champions League, then I think he's the right guy for the job. Let's close the, the podcast with a little bit of discussion about the Nazionale. We're recording this on Tuesday. I guess a couple of hours ago, they wrapped up their crazy TV show in Italy where they... Uh, you know, get players to rap and and whatever other craziness they do it and and what we learned at the end of that so they they had all 28 guys on the short list there at the end of it we find out that Toloi is on the team Brian Cristante is on the team Raspadori is on the team Matteo Politano is not on the team we do still have our three other Napoli players that we expected to be there in Meret in goal, although Meret was sort of debatable whether he would get there or Cranio, for example. Insignia was a certainty, and Di Lorenzo was a pretty much a certainty as well. I think especially with Florenzi, I believe, getting hurt late in the season. So I want to get all of your thoughts on the squad selection, and specifically the absence of Politano. Daniel, I'll start with you. How did you feel about that? I saw it coming, unfortunately. But I can't believe it still. I still can't believe it, even though I had saw it, seen it coming. Unfortunately, Bernardeschi seems like a guy that is well-liked in the locker room there. And I believe that that's why Mancini's bringing him. But in comparison, when you talk about the field, when you talk about, you know, Yves Campo, Politano is the guy to bring instead of Bernardeschi. Just by seeing them play, you could tell without even bringing into stats, but I'll, I'll bring in stats regardless. Bernardeschi 
this season is only he has zero goals and two assists. That's it. In 37 appearances, I believe. Politano, nine goals and five assists from right wing, for the most part as a bench player coming in for Lozano from the 60th minute on, mostly 65th minute on. What I'm saying is I saw it coming, but I'm saying the only reason for him not going would probably be Bernardeschi, Bernardeschi's locker room presence. That's really it. I watched his interview after the San Marino game. He's well-liked and he's well-spoken. So I guess maybe that's why. Other than that, I can't figure out a reason why they brought him. Yeah, if you were to ask a Juventino, I think what they would tell you is that two reasons I've seen are sort of the popular ones. One is that he's more flexible in terms of his position, whether he can play on the left, the right, even as a striker, I suppose. But I don't know how much value it is if he sucks at all of them, right? Like he's, he hasn't produced at any of those positions, so who cares if he could play at all of them? And you know, obviously we're all biased here because we're Napoli fans, but the other reason they've given is that he has produced, I guess, better or more on the international stage than he has with Juventus. Gaetano, what do you think? Is Should we have taken Politano over Bernardeschi? Of course, of course. Uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse. I mean, Bernardeschi, Bernardeschi has been good since he left Fiorentina. He had two good years at Fiorentina. Yeah. And the first like half a year of Juve, he was okay. And ever since, it's, it's just been downhill. He's done nothing. You know, I'm, I'm a big Raspadori guy, so I don't have an issue with him uh, on the team. I mean, the obvious one, the obvious comparison is, is Politano to to Bernardeschi, which is not, not really a comparison. And listen, guys, I mean, you know, I hate to be the Napoli, uh, you know, naysayer, you know, whatever. Politano wouldn't have seen the field much anyway, if, if, even if it was just kind of like, a you know, a feather in his cap, let's be honest. And also, if you look historically, uh, unfortunately, Juventus players always get a leg up when it comes to getting calls up uh, to the national team over most any other team in, uh, in Italy. It's just That's just a fact. Uh, so if it's even close or borderline, the Juve player, 99% of the time is going to get the call. But it's, it's, it sucks. You know, the guy worked, you know, he had a good year, a really good year, especially at the beginning of the year, was very limited in playing time, like Musa just said. You know, hopefully this this helps uh, him get even hungry and, and helps us next season. Let's look at it that way. Yeah, absolutely. There's still a World Cup only a year away, so he still have plenty of motivation to get onto that team. What I don't understand, because I agree with Daniel that I wasn't expecting him to make the team, even when I saw his name on the 28-man squad. I still felt like he was one of the players that could get cut. I think we were all maybe a little bit surprised to see Raspadori in there because when you looked at the 28-man squad, you probably thought, okay, Toloi gets cut because there were too many defenders and probably a midfielder. I don't understand why both of them are there. I don't understand why Sensi is there. The guy is made of glass. I don't understand why Cristante is there. Perhaps, again, just like that argument about Bernardeschi being a flexible player, I think you can maybe make that argument with Cristante as well because he's played all over the place with Roma. Vincenzo, I'll give you the final word on this one before we wrap it up. Well, I obviously have the same opinion, so I won't go over it in depth. All I want to say is one thing that we're forgetting about. Di Lorenzo is going to be the starter at right back now that Florenzi is out of the picture, and we know Insigne is going to be starting. So... Politano has proven to link up very well with Di Lorenzo and well with Insigne. And you have a guy you can plug in there that is going to meld well with two of your starters who are guaranteed. So that's another reason why, for me, Politano should have been there over Bernardeschi. 
even putting aside the statistics. Also, the argument that Bernardeschi's done better for the national team, it's because he's been given an opportunity, right? He's played a lot more. So if you call up Politano, give him a chance. Then if he flops, then fine. You can say Bernardeschi's done better. But until he's given the chance, I just don't see it. That being said, Roberto Mancini's done an excellent job. I'm hugely optimistic for this Euro. And he resurrected us from the darkest times for our Nazionale, at least in my lifetime, and probably everyone's here at least. So credit to him for that. The only other omission that was quite bad, I thought, or not omission, but selection, I should say, is Toloi. I mean, I don't know what that guy's doing on this squad. It doesn't make any sense to me other than just to have an Atalanta guy there. If you were going to call another defender, I think Mancini deserved it more, especially given the fact that we've seen him play defensive midfielder. You have a guy who can maybe, you know, be a little bit versatile. I don't think either were needed, but if you're going to bring one, I would have brought Mancini. For the midfield, yeah, Sensi is probably the one just because of he's fragile, but I think maybe he's just thinking, you know, if something happens to Verratti, Sensi is uh, the closest to Verratti as far as pure creativity from the midfield and, and you know, that kind of, uh, you know, sleekness and stuff. So maybe, maybe that's why he's there. And Cristante, yeah, I think it's mostly just because if someone like Barella gets hurt, it's some muscle in the midfield. That's all I think. I love the point about that chemistry between Politano and Di Lorenzo. I think that's a perfect reason to have him there. But I also agree. I mean, Mancini's done really well. He's given all of us a lot of things to look forward to. It's not going to be an easy competition because there are other very good teams, France and et cetera. So hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll put our trust in Mancini and, and hopefully he made the right decisions. And like I said, if if he got it wrong with Politano, hopefully he brings him to the World Cup next year. So we're going to wrap it up there. I want to thank everyone in our panel for joining me today. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Gaetano, thank you. Thanks as always, Joe. Appreciate it. My pleasure. And Vincenzo, thank you again. Thanks, Joe. Anytime. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. Actually, we were going to talk very soon. Before I, I get to our next episode, you can find all of our guests on Twitter. Daniel's at DRusso2235, Vincenzo's at Vinvertilo, and Gaetano's at Solazzo underscore 1310. Like I said, we will be back in a couple of days to do our season review episode and our first ever Forza Napoli Awards. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fortsonopoly Pod. I have a couple more episodes to go before we officially close the season. We're basically going to go until the end of the Prima Meta campaign, which still has hopefully two more games left if they can win their semifinal in the playoff and then get to the final. But I will talk to you again soon. Until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Fortsonopoly Sempre. Se 
gloria pienso nunca excluye su lago la Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.